0: Uh, I want to welcome you to ACF here for the very last time for this academic year and if you've been Tracking with us and journeying with us for the entirety of your last year, I want to say thank you for making us your place of worship, your 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 church home away from home on here on campus. And so uh, we're glad we're glad to be closing our time here. This is our last Sunday service, as as we've mentioned here. And to wrap things up, here's here, here's how I like to start our time off here this morning. Um, Another year is coming gone, and with the passing of another year, it's time to say our farewells to our yet another graduating class, uh, our seniors who will be leaving us. It is bittersweet. Um, it, it, it is bitter to see them go, but it is sweet to see them go into their next chapters of their lives and whatever God has for them. And so here's what I want us to do. Um, I want us to, as a church family, gather around our graduating seniors and bless them and, and love on them and, and pray for them as they go. Um, I know that we have folks from different campus ministries here, and so you guys have your own kind of farewell parties for your seniors, and we're certainly not trying to take away from that. But as a church family, as we gather every Sunday morning here, we just want to bless you seniors as, as you leave from this place. So can we do that? So if you are graduating this May, would you just go ahead, graduate in class of 2018, Would you stand to your feet just for a minute? And we want to acknowledge you here. And let's, hey, man, congratulations. Very exciting. Love it, love it, love it. So stay standing, stay standing. Here's what I'd like for us to do, the rest of us. Find a senior who is around you, and we're going to move around here. So if you need to cross over the Red Sea of the divide, just just cross on over. Do what you need to do, and go ahead and lay hands on them. And we want to pray for them. I'm going to say a prayer for them. Just come around them and agree with me. So go ahead, the rest of you guys, go ahead and stand to your feet. Find a senior. Go ahead, and we're going to bless them. Lay your hands on them here today. And we're going to love them. And encourage them here with our prayers. I would have you know, I am also a senior. I've been here four years. So if anyone wants to bless me, you know. No, I'm kidding. Uh, here, here's what I like to do. I, I want to pray for us. And um, church, would you just go ahead and bow with me as we, as we bring our friends before the Lord uh, on this last Sunday here as we're gathered together. Abba, Father, you have been so good to us, Lord, every step of the way, Lord. And first and foremost, even before we bless our friends here, we want to bless your name. We want to bless the name of the Lord Almighty. We want to exalt the name of Jesus because without you, we would not be here. Without you, without your work in our lives, this gathering and this this moment in time would be absolutely meaningless. And so, Father... First and foremost, we praise your name. We thank you for who you are, and we exalt you. And Lord, as we do, we want to lay our hands and, and lay our blessings on our friends who will be leaving us here in just a couple of short weeks. Father, we thank you first and foremost for the time that you have given us with them, for some, it's been all four years. For others, it's been, it's been two as they transferred here, maybe, from another campus. Maybe for others, it's been five plus years, and thank you that they're leaving now. <laughs> That's, but, but no, the Lord, in all seriousness, we thank you. We thank you for the time that you've given us with them and how sweet it has been. Lord, as I, as I look across the room and there are all these faces that we have spent time with and journeyed with, cried with laughed with and did life with together god my my heart is overwhelmed with joy and now lord as they go on to whatever journeys that you have for them whatever next chapters you have for them father would you be as we've been talking about in the last couple of weeks would you be the keeper of their path Would you watch their coming in and their going out? Whatever journey that they have, Lord, the the career path and whatever kind of next steps that they have leaning into, God, would you be the orchestrator, would you be the divine uh, coordinator of their lives as you lead them forth here from this place? Now, for those of our friends who are still trying to grapple with gaining clarity and direction, would you give them clarity and insight? Would you give them divine wisdom? Would you open the doors? You are the one who opens doors and closes doors. And so Holy Spirit of God, we ask that you would intervene for our friends here and open the doors that need to be opened and go ahead and shut the doors that need to be shut. And Lord, we entrust we entrust their future into your hands. And once again, we thank you. We thank you for the friendships and the bonds that have been formed through these friends, Lord. And now we ask that you would bless, bless their lives as they graduate and as they move on to bigger and better things. Be with them. Lead them. Be their good shepherd as they go forth. We love you. We thank you for this time. And it's in your most holy name we pray and everyone said, amen, amen. Church, let's give our graduating seniors one more round of applause. Congratulations. Job well done. Job well done. You guys can go ahead and find your seats and uh, get yourself situated here. We're excited for you guys. I know that uh, though this is our last uh, Sunday service, this is not the last time we'll be seeing you guys, and so uh, we've got a host of different things that we'll be kind of uh, crossing paths with on. So, hey, glad you're here, glad you're here. As we come to this particular Sunday, we come to our final installment of our Real Faith series, this little compact series that we have been, and it's only the final part for us here on campus. Again, we would love for you to join us uh, at our sponsor church next week as we look at part four. And, um, but as we come to this point in the series, I want to talk to you today about a dirty little S-word. A dirty little S word in our culture today. I wonder if you know what word I'm talking about. It's not the word sex. It's a, it's not that, that's not it. Although I love talking about that subject, you all know. That's not what we're going to be talking about here today. Um, it, it's, it's another dirty little S word. It, it's an S word that's not widely appreciated in our world today. It, it, in fact, if we were honest with ourselves, most of us hate this word. Most people in our culture hate this word if we were truly honest with ourselves. This is a word that causes people to recoil internally. It stops them in their tracks. This is a word that rubs people the wrong way and causes all kinds of tension in different types of relationships. It's a word that even church folks don't like all that much. People like you and me who follow Jesus, we don't particularly care for this word. It's the dirty little S word. Of the day, I wonder if you know what word I'm talking about, friends. Today, I want to talk to you about the word submission. Submission. In fact, say it with me, would you, this morning? Submission. Even as it rolls off your tongue, doesn't make you go, ugh, submission. I mean, who likes submission? Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the word submission, uh, a few images come to mind. Uh, and if, I want to share just just a few quick images here this morning. Um, First image is this, I don't know if we could see with the lights here, but this is, if you're familiar with UFC fighting, MMA fighting, this is a form of submission where, where you put someone in some kind of chokehold where they are forced to tap out and, and they win by submission. Now I don't entirely know what's going on in this picture. I just see a lot of body parts and I, I, I can't quite make out what's happening here, but it do not look fun. All right, that's as, as much as, as that I know, that does not look like he's enjoying his time here. All right, that, that is not a face of enjoyment. Another picture that comes to mind, maybe on the other end of the spectrum when it comes to submission, is an image like this, right? Yeah, all oh, right. Like, how many of you are familiar with Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer, right? Like, Caesar Milan, his whole thing in training dogs right is you want your dog to be in a calm and submissive state and this is basically the picture you want and this is a this is the picture of a a puppy dog saying I'm ready to do whatever you ask me to do master right like that is that's a picture of submission cute and yet still when we look at that we're like I don't know that I would want that to be described of my life that I am kind of on my back at the mercy of you know my master right Now, let me show you one last picture, and this is maybe a more culturally, emotionally charged image in our day, um, in our society, but this is perhaps another image that comes to mind, submission by way of authority figures and by force. Uh, This this is an image of a a protester being uh, subdued, right, by by police enforcement. And and please understand, uh, with all the rise and the the publicity and the the press that uh, the the, the police enforcement has received with police brutality and all these things and the the social injustice that's in that, please know that I am not making a statement whether I am pro-police or anti-police. That is not the point of this. But for some of us, when we think of submission... Images like this come to mind. Now, if these are the images and pictures that come to your mind when you hear the word submission, it's no wonder, it's no wonder why so many of us recoil and retract at the thought and the notion of submission. I mean, who wants that for their lives? Who wants that for their li- Absolutely no one. And yet, listen now. What we find in Scripture is that, and here's the big idea. If you're taking notes, you can jot this down as today's big idea. The posture of a Christian is one of submission. The posture of a Christian, there's no way of getting around this. If you study Scripture long enough, if you study Scripture any length of time, just read through the Gospels, just read through the red letters within the Gospels, the words of Jesus, what you find is that the posture of a Christian how a Christian shows up in the world and how he or she lives this life is one of submission. Now before you check out, before you dismiss this message as entirely irrelevant, let me, let me express my hope for you today. My hope is that you would walk away from our time perhaps with a different picture in your mind when it comes to submission. My hope is that you would walk away and and perhaps reframe this dirty little word of submission in a different framework. And I think today's passage can help us in that attempt. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to Psalm 123, Psalm 123. Hey, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. We'll get a Bible to you and in your hands. And uh, if you are following along with us in these Bibles, we're on page 517. 517 is where we are in these hardback Bibles. Psalm 123 is where we're going to be spending our time here today. We started this series by looking at Psalm 121. Last week we looked at Psalm 123. If you missed any of those messages, you can view them online or subscribe to our podcast and, and be all caught up that way. But today, we're going to spend the bulk of our time in Psalm 123. And I want to do what we've done every week for the last couple of weeks for this series. And I'd like for us to stand together and read the psalm in one voice as it was originally intended. Um, these psalms were written to be to be sung collectively and read aloud. And so uh, we're going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. At least that's the version that I'll be reading out of. And so if you don't mind, go ahead and turn to an ESV Bible or we'll put the text up here on the screen for you to read along with us. And so church, I'm going to invite you to go ahead and stand to your feet. If you have your Bible opened in front of you, you can read along there. If not, we'll have the text up here on the screen for us. It's just four short verses. Four verses We'll start from the very top, Psalm 123. Let's read aloud together. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Now, while this passage doesn't use the word submission, I believe this passage contains some divine insight and godly wisdom for us that can help us reframe the submission so that we can walk in this posture of submission. And so, Holy Spirit of God, would you open our eyes to see what you want us to see, open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, Open our hearts to receive all that you have for us here this morning through your word. We submit ourselves to you as we sung just a few moments ago. We surrender our hearts and our lives to you. Come and do what you will here in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. You guys can go have a seat. Now, this psalm, if you noticed... If, you're, if you've been with us for the last several weeks, you'll notice that this psalm opens up very similarly to the previous psalm that we started this series with, Psalm 121. If you remember from a couple of weeks back, we read in Psalm 121, it says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Friends, I would suggest to you if there's a Bible passage worth memorizing this is one of those one of those passages i lift up my eyes to the hills from where does my help come my help comes from the lord who made heaven and earth jump two chapters later in the opening of today's passage psalm 123 reads to you i lift up my eyes O you who are enthroned in the heavens now i don't want to gloss over this because this is important Listen, if we want to reframe submission in our minds, if we want to adopt this posture of submission, we've got to, number one, position our eyes. You've got to position your eyes. Friends, you know this. When you look at a certain situation from a particular position, it changes your perspective, doesn't it? Depending on where you're standing, depending on where you are, where where you see things from a a certain situation, it changes your perspective. You see things from a different perspective depending on what position you're standing in. Now, the psalmist here is real clear on where our position is when it comes to submission. In the opening, it says, To you I lift up my eyes. Folks, now you're smart here. You're Penn State students. If you lift up your eyes upwards, where are you? You're down. You're under. Listen, the posture of a Christ follower, this this is critical that we understand this. It sounds so elementary that we gloss over it like, yeah, 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 I know that. The posture of a Christ follower is one where he or she is under the one who is enthroned in the heavens. In fact, Ecclesiastes five tells us, you are God in heaven and here am I on earth, right? We are under God and God is above us. Furthermore, the psalmist goes on and he paints this picture in greater metaphor for us here. The psalmist goes on and describes this relational dynamic of God up here and us under here. He goes on and he says, behold, in other words, It's like this. It's like, check this out. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Remember, we're positioning our eyes, right? Now, just in these two short verses, the word eye shows up four times. When there is repetition like that anywhere in the Bible, you want to take note of that. You want to ask, why is the author repeating that concept? And listen now, here's what this passage is trying to tell us. What your eyes look towards will be what leads your life forward. What your eyes look toward will be what leads your life forward. This is not just a spiritual principle. This is a life principle. What your eyes look towards will be what leads your life forward. Listen, he says the servant leads his life Based on the hand of his master, and that's why the passage tells us the servant looks with his eyes to the hand of his master. The maidservant leads her life based on the hand of her mistress, and that's why the maidservant looks with her eyes to the hand of her mistress. What your eyes look towards will be what leads your life forward, which is why this little clause right here, this little concept is sandwiched in between. To you I lift up my eyes, O oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. And as the servant looks to the hand of his master, as the main servant looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to you. You are to position your eyes on God alone. Now, graduating seniors, let me just talk to you for a brief moment here because this is the last time, presumably, I'll have an opportunity to share my heart with you here. Until you come back, of course, you come back, right? And you write us a big old check with the big salaries you're getting, right, out in the workplace, right? Bless, don't forget us little people here at ACF, here on campus. We're still a poor college church, okay? Now, graduating seniors, if I can just talk to you for a quick second. When you leave this place and when you carry on with your life, do not be fooled. There are going to be a host of things that call for the position of your eyes, there are going to be a host, uh, several dozens of things. Right off the top of my head, I could think of a dozen things that will call for the, th- the position of your eyes. Your eyes are going to be drawn towards, say, things like your career, right? I mean, that, that's, after all, that, that's partly what you've worked towards during your four years here. Your eyes will be drawn towards your career or perhaps your success and your accomplishments in the workplace. Perhaps your eyes will be drawn to, to, to the, the, the desire to be great. Right? This desire to be number one in your field and in your industry, perhaps your eyes will be drawn to the praises of your employers. Or perhaps your eyes will be drawn towards the, the recognition of your colleagues, to, to, to be recognized as top dog in the company, to, 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 to climb that corporate ladder as quick as you can, and success will be what your eyes will be drawn towards. Now, maybe not work-related at all. Maybe for you, perhaps your eyes will be drawn to a particular relationship with a special someone. Your eyes may end up being drawn towards finding the one you'll end up marrying and end up making a life with. Now listen, church, please hear me. None of these are bad things to set your eyes on. None of these are intrinsically wrong or evil, but you have to understand the principle here. What your eyes look towards will be what leads your life forward. And so... If your eyes are set on your career, guess what happens? Your career ambitions will be what drives your life. If your eyes are set on the praises of man, guess what will happen? Your life will rise and fall on the praises of those around you. And when you don't get it, your life will come crashing and burning. Because what your eyes look towards will be what leads your life Forward. if your life if your eyes are set on finding the one now if you didn't find the one here at Penn State you're maybe hoping ah, hopefully maybe I'll find the one out there let me just say if your eyes aren't set are set on finding the one and folks this isn't just for graduating seniors I hope you I hope you're catching this if your eyes are set on finding the one your life will be driven by that very pursuit what your eyes look towards will be what leads your life for in this psalmist, notice, he has come to the conclusion, to live a truly meaningful life, my eyes have got to be positioned on God and God alone. That's it. Not my career, not the accolades of people around me, not my accomplishments, not the family that I'm rearing and the, and the life that I'm, the, n- none of that. My eyes must be positioned on God alone, like the servant looks to the hand of his master, like the maidservant looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God. Where are your eyes positioned today? What are you looking towards? What are you looking at? Because I promise you, you want to know the future? You want to know what your life is going to look like? Pay attention to what you're looking at. Position Your eyes. Now, this psalmist has come to the conclusion that our eyes, in order to live a truly meaningful life as a God-fearer, as a Jesus-follower, and Jesus-lover, our eyes must be positioned on God. But it still begs the question: when you position your eyes on God, what do you see? What do you see? Listen, if the posture of submission is one where we are looking up to God, this becomes an absolutely critical question. When you look to God, when you lift your eyes up to him, as a psalmist suggests to do, what do you see? Because, you see, not only do we need to position our eyes on God, but we need to, number two, perceive his mercy. We need to perceive his mercy. Put it this way. When you submit to someone, are you not at their mercy, right? I mean, I, we, we, we looked at that picture of the little puppy dog, right, like on, 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 that, on her back, and she is basically at the mercy of her master. When you are under someone, you are at the mercy of the one who is above you, you know, think of, just use the examples that are right here in Psalm 123, the servant and the master. A servant is at the mercy of his or her master, Uh, bring it into modern day you know the the, the, an employee is at the mercy of his or her boss if your boss wanted to fire you guess what you have no say in that you are at the mercy as an employee of the company you are at the mercy of your employer or your boss bring it into personal lives for just a minute in in a family sense right a child is at the mercy of the parents right the parent has has say in the house and the child is basically at the mercy of the parent Uh, a couple weeks ago i got i got pulled over by a cop for speeding no surprise there okay um and uh the 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 cop pulled me over right on uh right on um college ave college ave uh, you got off the main stretch I said, now's my chance. I see some open spots and, you know, aggressive driving, right? That's how New Yorkers drive. Like, you see some open spots, you weave in and out. And so it was at night. It was after midweek. And uh, I, got, I got pulled over. And so I got my Jesus on, and I see those red lights, red and blue lights. And I may have said some unsanctified things under, under my breath, but, 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 like, he pulled me over. And in that moment, I realized there ain't nothing I could do. I'm at the mercy of this cop. I'm at the mercy and Nicole will tell you I'm like when I get pulled over I get mean I just like I I feel like I don't deserve getting pulled over even if I am speeding I don't know why like anyone with me like you're like how dare you pull me over right like I know I was going 25 miles over the speed limit but how dare you this is injustice right like it's, it's stupid I know that my wife tells me that all the time you deserve it I hope you go to jail that's literally she will say that she will say that she will say listen if you want to kill yourself go right ahead but not with me and the kids in the car right like so so i got pulled over but i i realized in that moment there ain't nothing i could do i am at the mercy of this cop listen now where there is submission there is always this piece of mercy this piece of mercy is important that we wrap our heads around that concept in fact we see it in this passage at the end of verse 2 let's read what this passage says so our eyes Look to the Lord our God, right? We are positioning our eyes on God till he has mercy upon us. Verse three opens up and he says, have mercy upon us. Oh Lord, have mercy upon us. These people of antiquity are waiting to receive the mercy of God. They they, They are awaiting, they are at the mercy of God at this point in time. By the way, let me just say this. You cannot receive what you do not perceive. You cannot receive. There is no way of receiving what you do not perceive. Listen, if we don't see God as a merciful God, how in the world are you going to wait to receive God's mercy? He ain't merciful. If you don't see God as a loving, caring God, how in the world would you expect to receive love and care from this God? You cannot receive what you do not perceive. And so that's why I asked you, when you look up to Him, when you look up to God, when you have positioned your eyes on God, what do you see? What do you see? And you see, that's the whole point of what the psalmist is trying to say. We can receive mercy. We can receive mercy because we perceive God to be a merciful God. Furthermore, you want to know something on this side of the cross. As people of the new covenant, as people of the New Testament, you and me sitting here in 2018, as people of the new covenant, we have the clearest picture of a merciful God. Because what we find in the cross of Jesus is that God does not give to us what we deserve. And friends, that is what mercy is. God doesn't give to us what we deserve. And rather, he takes all that we deserve The the, the punishment of sin, the death, the condemnation, the penalty for sin, and all of the full justice and the wrath of God, and he takes it away from us. Mercy. And he puts it squarely on his son Jesus. Atonement. Jesus becomes the atoning sacrifice, whereby God then extends to us mercy. On this side of the cross... We have no clearer picture of a merciful God than if we were to just simply look to the cross of Jesus. You see, how you view God will determine whether or not you submit to him. That that is the bottom line fact. How you view God will determine whether you submit to him or not. Because when you submit to him, you got to understand we are at his mercy. We are and if we are at his mercy the perception of god is what will make or break your submission last week i quoted a guy by the name of eugene peterson a pastor and author one of my personal heroes of the faith He says these words in regards to the mercy of God. If we could put the the, the quote up here on the screen. He says, this prayer, he's referring to this specific prayer in Psalm 123 of have mercy upon us, O God, have mercy upon us. He's referring to this prayer. He says, this prayer is not an attempt to get God to do what he is unwilling otherwise to do. It's not like you got to beg God to love you. He already does. It's not like you have to beg God to be merciful to you because he is a merciful God. He can't help but show mercy to, the, to, to, to those he loves. He, you're not asking God to do what he is unwilling otherwise to do, but a reaching out. Remember, we've been talking about all year, we want to be a church that reaches up and reaches out. It is a reaching out to what we know that he does do and expressed longing to receive what God is doing in and for us in Jesus Christ, friends, this is who God is. He's a merciful God, and he's proved it over and over and over again in our lives, and most profoundly through the cross of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of that, and when you perceive his mercy, you can come to a place of full submission to this God and say yes to him. Now, after positioning our eyes and perceiving his mercy, Still yet for some of us, there's a big hurdle standing in the way of us fully submitting our lives to Jesus, and that hurdle is fear, that hurdle is fear, and so not only do we need to position our eyes and perceive his mercy, but number three, we also need to process our fears. You need to process your fears. You don't want to live out of your fear. You don't want to live out of this fear, but you want to process your fears. You see, this passage, I don't know if you notice this, it ends rather oddly. Picking up from verse 3 and into verse 4, we read these words. We read the prayer, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. And then he goes on and he begins to describe this kind of situation that is a little bleak, a little uh, not very optimistic. He says, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Now, I don't know about you, but, but when I first read that part of the psalm, I, I was scratching my head a little bit. I, I, was, I was running circles around this text, these last two verses, and I wasn't really sure what to make of it. And the more time I spent in this, in this portion of the text, the more I read it, the more it struck me. This right here is the fear. This right here is the fear that grips all of us when it comes to submission like a servant looks at the hand of his master like the maidservant servant looks like so Lord our, our eyes look to you the reason why we don't want to do that is because we're afraid this is going to happen to us in, in other words I think the common fear for so many people when it comes to the issue of submission is what if I'm taken advantage of what if when I submit what if when I go under someone the one who is over me will not look out for me that's the fear for so many of us For many of us we hit the brakes on submission because we fear that we're going to be taken advantage of by the one we're submitting to and this is where our minds go back to the opening images i showed earlier Right? Of, a, of a UFC fighter getting choked out, a sad little puppy dog waiting to, to be mad, ordered around by, by his or her master, a civilian being forcefully subdued. What if I end up being taken advantage of after I submit? And this, friends, is a very real fear for many of us. Maybe for you, you're like a super Christian. You're like, ah, I don't care about that. I'll submit. God's good. right? Like I'll submit. That's not, that's not a problem. But for the rest of us, the rest of us, we're like, What if when I submit, God is not as good as I think he is? What if when I submit to God, what if when I give my life over to God and I bow my knee to the lordship of Jesus, Jesus will not look out for me? What do we do with this fear? The question is, how do we appropriately process this fear? And this is where we come full circle. This is why I love the Psalms. In fact, the people of antiquity, you got to understand, the way they thought wasn't linear. It wasn't linear. It was cyclical. The way they thought about life, the way they thought about spirituality, the way they journeyed through life was cyclical in nature. And even in this psalm, we come full circle. Friends, the only way your fears will diminish is if you position your eyes properly and you look up to the one who is above you. I don't know if you've heard this before, but the Christian life is entirely counterintuitive. The thing that you fear most might be the thing that you need to step into hardest. What if, when I submit, God will take it? No, 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 listen. First things first, you position your eyes on the, on the one who is enthroned in the heavens. Friends, the only way your fears will shrink is if you perceive God as a merciful God, as a Father who tirelessly cares for your every needs, as a God who seeks to bring the shalom of God, the peace of God, the full restoration of God over and into your life. This is the God you're submitting to. And when you see that God in front of you, let me assure you, There is no earthly possible way that you will arrive to the conclusion that this God is here to take advantage of you. When you position your eyes on him and him alone, nothing else, you're not paying attention to anything else, but you got your eyes fixed as the author of Hebrews says, my eyes, my gaze is fixed on the author and the perfecter of my faith. When you position your eyes on him and you begin to perceive God for who he is, a merciful God, and when you get to know the heart of God, by the way, the only way you're going to get to know the heart of God is if you know his word. Some people are like, man, I I just, I don't know if I could trust God. We have a whole lifetime of evidence of God's trustworthiness in our lives. You want to know the heart of God? Get into the word of God. Open the word of God, ground yourself in the word of God. And so when you begin to see the heart of God, friends, let me tell you right now, when you begin to process your fears out, you begin to see that there are absolutely no grounds for these fears. Because everything that God is about is not to take advantage of you, but it is to give you the advantage. Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can, what? Who can be against us? We are, what does he say? We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. God is not here to take advantage of you. He is to give, he is is here to give us the advantage. And friends, if there's any confirmation of this, we see this at the communion table. We're going to end our time here today by taking communion. And we do this once a month corporately. We have communion uh, available every single week. But once a month, we as a church come together to take communion together. And when we come to the communion table, what we find is that God doesn't take advantage of us. But in, in giving us the advantage, God sent his son to be the sacrifice for us so that we can taste and receive the mercy of God. So that we can taste and receive the grace of God. And that's why we celebrate communion. By the way, there's no greater picture of submission than what we see at the communion table. If you follow the journey of Jesus leading up to the actual moment of, of, of his crucifixion, moments before, he exemplifies this incredible act of submission by getting down on his hands and knees and washing the feet of his disciples, by breaking the bread and giving, giving, distributing the, the, the elements to his disciples and saying, do this in remembrance of me. What is he saying? He's saying the posture of a Christian If you want to follow me, if you want to make your life about following after me, you got to understand the posture of a Christian is one of submission. There's no getting around that. and So that's why he does that and he says, I am setting an example for you. Understand why I'm washing your feet, Peter. Understand why I'm washing your feet, Judas, whom I know you're going to betray me in just a few moments. To Understand why I'm doing this. Because the call of a Christian, the call of a follower of Jesus, is one of submission. Submission to God. And so we want to celebrate the greatest act of submission. Where we are the the chief benefactors of that. The communion table. Where we come to the bread and the juice and we recognize that Jesus set the example for us. And listen, if Jesus can trust God the Father... If Jesus can vouch that God is who he says he is, that he's a merciful God, that he is, he is he's worthy of my submission, then yeah, I, I, I don't really have much else to say to that. I'm going to take Jesus' words on that.